Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AG Chase Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hope you're having a great day. You know, often I often talk about sort of the pre-Katrina and the post-Katrina world because, frankly, if you think about coastal Mississippi and the opportunities that we've seized and the work that we've done to come together as a set of communities, the, the, the belief that we have and the understanding that we have uh, around what the world word resiliency means and the ability to bounce back and uh, all the disasters that we've that we felt and my strong belief that when the going gets tough coast of mississippi comes together and helps uh, we help our neighbors and we care deeply about one another and it's the thing that's in the heart and soul of uh, of mississippians in general but certainly coast of mississippians the sense that the people are the reason why people would like to come here that's i mean the people are our competitive advantage that's why I often said and have said that people don't uh, – that buildings don't make a community. The people make a community, and I really believe it. And I think after Katrina, we really got an opportunity to really understand that. Listen, in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, you know this. I had the opportunity to work closely with Governor uh, Haley Barber. Uh, we had a meeting at the Sun-Herald a week after after Katrina. Uh, Katrina hits on a Sunday, Monday. On the following Sunday at 3 o'clock, I hosted a meeting at the Sun-Herald, and we had some community leaders there. And we met with the governor and talked about forming the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal. And the, the, the story is a hell of a story about how every aspect, governmental, non-governmental, volunteer leaders, I was just a volunteer leader, came together to formulate a plan to help Coastal Mississippi really begin to understand First of all, what do we need to do to sort of rebuild and get the infrastructure back where we can we can live again? And the other is what's possible in the future? Where can we go and what's possible with that? And it was really important this planning that we did. It inf- well, we all got educated about what it what it means to build a great community, but we also were were feeding the information that we were gathering to to Governor Barber. He details this in his book. He almost like led a, a double life. He had the life that was happening in Mississippi in the Katrina recovery mode, working with us who were involved in that. And then he had another life in Washington where he was trying to align Washington leadership around the needs of coastal Mississippi. It's an amazing, it's an amazing feat of leadership and it's detailed in Haley Barber's book about Katrina that I had the, the real honor of writing the forward to. Well, anyway, during that process, the, the, the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina as we formed the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal, I got to know a guy named Henry Barber, who you may have heard his name before. He's uh, he's Governor Barber's nephew. He is a partner in Capital Resources, and he became the executive director for the the commission, the 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 Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal. And we got to work super closely. I was a vice chairman of the effort, uh, responsible for tourism, and on the executive committee. So we actually formulated this group as a as a group that was privately financed. No government money came into this group. It was really important to Governor Barber that we do that. We were able to move a lot faster, and uh, and the funds that we used to 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 hold meetings. 
meetings to involve architects and planners were all private funds, and that was important to all of us. But in the opportunity, the opportunity I got to know Henry Barber, who now is one of the most influential people in Mississippi, maybe even in the nation. Uh, Henry lives in Jackson, and but he is uh, he's a longtime leader in this state. He's, he knows a lot about politics, and I've invited him on the Coast View to spend some time with me today. Just talk. I want to get to know Henry even better, and we'll reflect a bit on Katrina. We'll reflect a little bit on his career. I'm curious about his thoughts about what's happening in the Republican Party these days. There's a lot to talk about. But anyway, welcome to uh, Coast View, my friend, Henry. Ricky, hey, man. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm 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 delighted to to be here. Um, I'm I'm sorry for the circumstances that that led us to get to know each other, because it was a, a devastating time. Um, but I really am thankful for it, and I'm I'm thankful for the deeper appreciation that I have for the coast because of the time that I spent down there in '05, uh, post Katrina, uh, getting to know people and just seeing. Um, you know, what we're sort of seeing out of the Ukrainian people right now, man, these coast people are tough. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, and y'all had to live it. You know, yeah. it wasn't talk. And um, so for a Delta boy who actually lives in Yezu City, not Jackson. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was, uh, anyway, I, I, it was a, it was an honor for me to, to be part of that. And, and as sort of Haley's political guy, not that Haley has a political guy cause he is the political guy, but, um, and I ran his campaign, but, um, I, you know, he called me and, and, um, you know, wanted help. Um, and it said, Hey, I've, I've asked Jim Barksdale to chair this thing and I'd like you to run it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, I've got a, um, work for Jim Barksdale, who is like, you know, the greatest CEO and, you know, Mississippi uh, origin. And I'm going to be exposed as a, you know, a fraud that, you know, I, I can't, you know, run a two car funeral. Um, but anyway, the whole thing was was uh, really was um, uh, life changing. And, and uh, for me and just the people I met and, 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 and having the opportunity to make a difference uh, for the coast, uh, was huge opportunity. Yeah. I had, uh, to me, you know, people ask me about why I do coast view. And I, I, once I retired, I was, I was off for about four years. And when I had this opportunity to come back, I often say I had forgotten what I learned about what it takes to build a great community. And of course, over the course of over 600 conversations over now, over two years of doing coast view, I'm still amazed, though, at what it takes to make a community tick. You know, the kind of leaders it takes, the the kind of nonprofit community that it that it takes. But clearly, in the wake of Katrina, as the publisher of the Sun Herald, I got a great uh, a great learning. Um, about the role that the newspaper and media could play in helping the recovery and informing people in the in the democrat in the very strong democracy that we needed because the communities that were going to emerge in some cases were going to be different than before and we wanted people to be involved in that process. But I got I got a I got a chance to understand leadership and at at the at the I know that in, as deep as you can possibly imagine. Uh, understand leadership and what it takes to build a great community. And man, we were surrounded by unbelievable leadership, weren't we? We really were. Um, it was, it was so impressive. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I'm, uh, he's Uncle Haley to me. 
Um, but you know, I think Haley and 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 I'm gonna say Marsha too. I mean, you know, they were sort of made for this moment, and and uh, you know, in the Lord's providence, you know, they were in leadership in the state, and uh, everything I think that Haley had done in his career in D.C., in Mississippi, um, it just all sort of built up that this is the guy. And oh, by the way, we've got Trent Lott and Thad Cochran who are going to work hand in hand with you um, and a strong house delegation. Um, and and Haley is real big on empowering people and having uh, what he likes to call participatory uh, process. And and he wanted this recovery commission um, to be very participatory and he wanted it to be led by strong folks. And I will say, I remember, Ricky, the first time we met, I, I came down with Jim Barksdale and it was about 10 or so days after the storm. And we all the mayors were there and um, and you were there. And um, I think Anthony Topazzi, I think, was there. Another great leader. And um and I just remember hearing this guy, Ricky Matthews, talking. I'm like, man, who is this dude? Um, he is, he can talk. And, uh, and you, I mean, you know, being, you know, an authentic uh, person from the coast, I don't know what you call yourselves down there, Coastians or something, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it just, uh, it was, it was incredible to, to witness and to see and and to be there um, in the middle of it and to and for those of us that were much less affected by the storm, um, for us to be able to come in and and try to help and and to be part of it and like I said before, it really was an honor and uh, to to have that opportunity. Uh, but the like you say, leadership was really really key and and it, and I was amazed. You know, all these mayors and they all really I mean, they all kind of came together and uh, and worked well. I mean, if we look over at what's going on in Louisiana, it was a train wreck. And in Mississippi, we had some tough times and serious challenges. But um, people really pulled together and tried to figure out, all right, what do we have to do that's immediate? What do we have to do for the long term? And um, and and. And like you said, what do we do here and what, what is going on in D.C.? And, and, you know, two two different tracks going on at the same time. We're talking to Henry Barber, who <clears throat> we're going to talk about other things besides Katrina, but he was the executive director for the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding and Renewal. That's where I got to know him. And we're reflecting on some of the memories of that time. We'll continue that part of the conversation when we come back from break. But then I'm actually interested in understanding a little bit more about where Henry comes from. We'll, we'll continue the conversation after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Henry Barber with me today. He's a partner in Capital Resources. But uh, but I know him as the former executive director for the Governor's Commission on Re- Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal. And when we went to break, we're just kind of reflecting a bit on Hurricane Katrina. You know, Henry, one of the things that hit me while you were talking is that in my family, nine of 11 homes were destroyed. And the ones that were left were were in need of serious repair. Uh, thank God no one was killed. Thank God. Um, in, my, in my newspaper family, 67 of my employees lost everything they owned, every single thing they owned. And some lost family members. Yeah, when I when I reflect back on that moment, and I wrote some lessons from that I maybe one day will publish. But one one of the lessons was, before Katrina, we always thought we worked hard. <laughs> we didn't know what that really looked like until after Katrina. But to be surrounded by leaders, you know, Anthony Deposi having to rebuild Mississippi Power and the work that they were doing there, and the challenges that they faced, and people like Jerry St. Pay and his work, and Joe Sanderson, you know, it had you know, I, I, if I remember this correctly, big investments in timber, and of course, you know, you you know the story of how Katrina affected the entire state of Mississippi. And I mean, I could go on and I name all these names, but they were all challenged personally and professionally and still taking the time to be a part of this effort without complaint, bro. I mean, not one single complaint. It was like, we got to do this. Failure is not an option. We are we are not going to let up. That was something to behold, wasn't it? It really was. Um, it just an am- amazing group of people. And, and then, uh, you know, just... At every level, though, um, it, it, it was uh, so impressive. And I, I, I was thinking about um, Mr. Sanderson, at, you know, how hard the Pine Belt did get hit. I mean, it was, you know, assume nothing happened on the coast. I mean, the, the you know, the, the Hasburg, Laurel, I mean, they just got uh, so hammered. Um, and, and, um, it was during this process that I got to know Governor Winter. You know, Governor Winter yes. was very involved with the Recovery Commission. And Ambassador and, Palmer. Yes, John Palmer. And and I think it's interesting. I can remember uh, a few people when we first came down and we were putting this thing together, they were very skeptical. They were like, you know, they probably looked at me and thought, well, this is a guy who, you know, runs Republican campaigns. I mean, come on. Um, this is going to be political, and in Haley Barber's political, and uh, but it really wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't about politics. It was about Mississippi, and how do we how do we help our people? And uh, you know, for somebody who you know whose house didn't have damage, um, you know, because I live in Yazoo County, um, to drive around and see just block after block and to, to hear that 67 people at the Sun Herald um, lost their houses. Uh, if I heard you right, I mean, yes, yes. Uh, that's just, that's, a, I mean, that's amazing. And, and how impressive the Sun Herald was at that time, you know, getting the paper out and not just like a paper. I mean, like the news. I mean, it was, it was incredible. 
the whole thing. I, 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 before I forget this, I, I, I just want to say, uh, the, those of us that kind of came from up towards Jackson and, and down working on the Recovery Commission, kind of staff folks, um, we were down there a lot, and we stayed at the Isle of Capri. And the Isle of Capri um, was a wreck. And of course, I, I I think it's funny, but we you know we called it the Isle of Debris, and um, and it was it was something. But you know, for for those of us who were you know coming from you know a few hours north, you know just to see it and and to be part of it, um, the charrettes, uh, the planning, the vision. You know, how can the coast be better? And some people took to it more than others, and and you know some plans were scrapped and never happened. But um, it, it, I think it really made a difference, and uh, and I'm 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 proud of the work that that commission did, and, and certainly I'm I'm awfully proud of um, the people of the coast and how they responded. Well, when you think about the commission work and how it informed what our infrastructure needs are going to be. The battle over the Ocean Springs Bridge, which was no small feat and no small battle. When you think about all these things that played out within the guise of the commission, and then you read Haley's book and understand how that information informed him so that he can make a viable ask in, in Washington, D.C. Because if we remember cor- correctly, uh, Louisiana asked for like $250 billion without any substantive data to support it, and it created this chilling effect in Washington. And what Haley had to do is work across the aisle. I mean, his, his bipartisan effort in Washington to say, okay, we get that, but lo- let me tell you what Mississippi is doing. Let me show you, let's validate what our needs or our specific needs are going to be. And the way that he used the information that came from the commission to inform his ability to talk to what happened in Washington, man, it was unbelievable. I mean, you you said it was providential that his prior experience in all these realms helped him understand what he was going to need. In a lot of ways, it's interesting, I became publisher of the Times speaking in New Orleans. It is interesting that Haley Barber actually played a role in, in bringing, you know, I would say sanity, but bringing clarity to what Louisiana was going to need. And by the way, I was over in New Orleans when Haley came to do a book signing. He asked me to come with him. And the leaders from New Orleans that were there to get him to write in their book and who who, who, who he was deeply good friends with, um, he was playing across state lines, man. I mean, it wasn't just he was a leader for the nation on, on the on the Katrina recovery effort, and uh, maybe maybe once in a generation type of leader. Yeah, and I will say too, I, I can remember, um, you know, Haley had to tell some hard truths to the White House um, at that time, you know, because um, they needed to hear it, and there was some pushback on on quite a few issues, and um, and I'm gonna tell you what, Haley pushed back, and. Um, and and to their credit, they listened. They did. They did. Yeah. Henry, they listened. People asked, well, when uh, when when President Bush came to the coast, uh, d- did you get an opportunity to meet with him? I said, well, how, which time? <laughs> because he came 12 different times. And when you went to a meeting with the president, Haley ran the meeting. And the president had a yellow notepad, and he wrote copious notes. Dude, I mean, it was... 
it was a working group, man. I mean, they, they shut the they shut the room down, and the people in the room. We had a serious conversation about the recovery effort, and uh, and and my my impression of Bush. I, I know that there were some struggles initially. There were some perception issues and all that. But what I saw in the true wake of the storm when we kicked off the commission at the ten at the factory outlets up through today, that Bush played a solid role in helping kind of move this along and that Haley and his partnership was incredibly important. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, the good thing was they had a relationship and the president knew Haley was his friend and ally. Um, but that didn't mean that they had to agree on everything and it didn't mean that Haley had to agree with him, but he would do it privately. Yeah. And, and he would say these things privately. Um, yeah. Uh, I can remember a moment or two he was, you know, just about ready to not say it privately, but but he did. But he, he hung in there and um, and he got stuff done. And I, and I can remember hearing from my friend Jim Perry, who was spending a lot of time with Haley in D.C., um, how they went in to see the speaker at like 1 a.m. in the Capitol. And, you know, you can't just do that. That's that's because Haley's got decades of relationship and understanding. And also, you know, he wasn't going to get denied. And, of course, and I and I will say, you know, Senator Cochran and, and Senator Lott deserve all the same credit, you know, for yeah. what they did. Because it could, you know, Haley couldn't have done this without Trent Lott, couldn't have done it without Thad Cochran but also couldn't have done it without the people of the coast. Yeah, that, yeah. that was the key. And listen, I had this wonderful moment after the after the we we had the uh, tent meeting with the commission. Um, you talked about his ability to kind of you know cross the aisle and have a bipartisan push in Washington. But he did the same thing in Mississippi. I, I remember Billy McCoy putting his arm around me coming out of that tent meeting and just said, anything you need, anything, let me know. And he really meant it, man. I mean, he really meant it. Yeah, yeah. And, we, you know, we need to see more of that in our country. But uh, I'm glad that we saw that then. Um, it, 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 sadly, we it's, it's, it gets rarer and rarer. Um, it's interesting, too, um, you know, Haley, um, he's never been one in campaigns and whatnot where he could show emotion. You know, he tends to talk like a CPA and you know, wants to talk about all these Medicare numbers or this or that or whatever. And, and sometimes it seems a little disconnected. Katrina was different. Um, it's the first time I ever saw him give a speech. And I, and I think I saw him at the charrette. And, you know, he the tears were coming. But there was also laughter because I can remember he was saying about a French charrette. And he said, the only French I know is bourbon and bonbons. <laughs> Very highly asked. I remember that so well. I remember that so well. We're having a conversation with Henry Barber looking back on some of the days after Katrina. We'll, we'll switch gears here shortly and talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, what is uh, Henry up to these days? When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgolfcoast.com. 
And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We have my friend Henry Barber. Um, Henry was the executive director for the com- for the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal, and he's a partner in Capital Resources. Willie, we're going to get into some more about what he's up to these days. But before we get too far away from this, we were talking about um, how how President Bush and Haley Barber had this unique and important relationship during the days after Katrina. It was important for a lot of reasons, but you know we were in the wake of 9-11. I remember when we met how much security there was around us, but then how focused the president was on understanding the situation. And um, it was clear they had such a great relationship. But when you, you watched all that play out, but then you know in the back of your mind, did it occur to you that here you are – sort of having touch touch history generationally because you had worked for George H. W. Bush along the way. Um, did it did did that occurrence you know come to your mind that now you've you've actually worked with the father and son? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I worked for uh, Daddy Bush, um, Bush 41 and 88. I worked in his campaign in Mississippi and then I moved to DC and and uh, and worked for him. Worked at the Department of Energy with something called the White House Liaison, and um, learned a lot. And one of the things I learned is the Bushes are good people. Um, you know, this he was a World War II hero. Um, he's a great American, and, um, and and to tell you the kind of people they are, the Bushes. Um, I, I dear friends that moved to Houston after uh, Bush lost to Clinton. And and my, the wife of my friend, she was the masseuse for George Bush, Barbara Bush, Jim Baker. And and he was asking her, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And she's like, well, it's just we can't get home. Um, so we're just going to be in town. And he's like, well, then y'all are coming to our house for Thanksgiving. And so sure enough, you know, they go over to the house and it's just like, you know, some of the Bush children and them. And I mean, to me, it just speaks volumes about this is the way these people are. And every interaction I had with George W. Bush, um, exact same thing. You know, you can disagree with him on this or that, um, whatever, um, but just really good people really care about uh, the country and and uh, want to do right. And uh, so real privilege, like you say, to get to work for uh, Bush 41 and 43 um, in, in different capacities, um, a real a real honor for sure. So you you literally were born with politics in your blood, weren't you? Yeah, you know, my dad was mayor of Yazoo City um, and he was elected in, when he was 27, 1968. I was four years old. And so I grew up in a house very involved in politics. That was the first campaign actually Haley ever worked on was my dad's race. And then that was in the spring and in the fall, he worked on the Nixon race. So I just grew up around it. I I didn't know it. I didn't realize it um, until I I really ran my first campaign. And I was like, oh, I already know how to do all this stuff. I just, you know, it just um, and I was, you know, well into my 20s at that point. And and. so, yeah, I grew up in it and then, of course, end up in D.C. with Haley. And that was in 88 till about 95. And that's when I 
I started to get to know Haley and not Uncle Haley, um, you know, which for me was a whole different deal. And um, we just clicked um, and uh, Haley asked me in uh, after Bush 41 lost to Bill Clinton, I got a phone call that woke me up the next morning and Haley was calling and he said, hey, I'm going to run for RNC chairman. Um, think you might want to work on my campaign? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, you know, my job at the RNC is going to be over here in um, probably a couple months. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, uh, a good deal. And so anyway, I, I, I worked on Haley's race for RNC chairman and I worked for him two years doing fundraising when he was at the RNC and, and um, really got a much more thorough understanding of Haley Barber and who he is and what are, what are his talents. And, um, and I mean, I learned a lot about him and, and I will say any, just about any time I do, occasionally I'll do uh, national media stuff. And, you know, I find myself using Haley lines, you know, that I heard in the eighties and nineties. It's like, you know, why try to improve on that? I mean, right. you know, dude, dude's got game. But you, you know, we, we don't have uh, opportunity to go through it all. But you know, you you had the opportunity to work closely with with uh, Governor of Texas uh, Rick Perry. You know, along the way, you you've uh, you've you've worked with uh, Thad Cochran. You've worked on various other campaigns. You've been a real real leader in the Mississippi Republican Party. You're now sort of uh, involved at the national level. What do you what what actually are you doing these days on the national level as it relates to the Repu- Republican Party? So in uh, 2005, a guy named Mike Retzer was the uh, national committee man, a guy from Greenville who owns 800,000 uh, McDonald's. Um, and Mike became ambassador to, uh, to Tanzania. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, I'd kind of like to go on the RNC. I've, I've, I've worked at the RNC. I understand it. So anyway, I ran for RNC national committee man and got elected in 05. So I've been on the RNC. Um, uh, for almost 17 years, and we have three representatives. Jeannie Lucky is uh, the national committee woman, and Frank Bordeaux, two folks from the coast, and they are incredibly effective uh, for the National Republican Party. Um, but but I'm involved. I, I, I worked on something called the Growth and Opportunity Report, which was after the uh, uh, Romney lost to Obama in 2012, and we wrote about right, how do we grow the party? How do we win the White House? Um, what are the nuts and bolts sorts of things that we need to do to grow the party? You know, digital data, uh, field operations, uh, message-wise. You know, how do we talk um, in a way that it doesn't seem like Republicans just don't like anybody, but like rich white people? Um, and and that was uh, that was a great project to work on, and I think uh, a lot that we did. And I was working hand in hand with a guy named Reince Priebus, who was RNC chairman and and later became chief of staff at the White House to President Trump. Um, set the table for for Trump to win in sixteen. It was sort of ironic because we were sort of the establishment, and Trump obviously was not. But he had a very small campaign, and once he became the nominee. Unlike, say, a George W. Bush, who had this sort of political uh, background and people he could tap into, Trump didn't. And so Trump 
basically um, took the RNC and made it part of his campaign. And so uh, all this work that we had been doing got utilized in a really significant way in, in electing Trump in 16. And, and uh, but anyway, so we have, you know, continue to be involved on the RNC. Um, you know, we we have a big opportunity. That's it's a it's a, it's a tough political environment uh, right now for Democrats in this national election. And uh, those of us that are on the RNC are trying to keep things focused on what do we need to do to win elections. And let's not get distracted talking about um, I'll just say other things that just uh, are not helpful and 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 uh, don't unite people. Uh, I'm a big believer in you. You need to unite, not to to divide, um, if you want to win in politics. And but anyway, so I'm I'm very involved. Ronna McDaniel um, is the RNC chair. I'm, I visit with her all the time. I'm gonna be with her in Memphis next week for an RNC meeting. Um, and so I'm I'm heavily involved uh, as as our Frank and Jeannie as well. Well, it's uh, it's fascinating to see what's happening. And I had uh, Marie Sanderson on recently through some of her efforts have been really trying to understand what's happening in middle America. And uh, I really kind of attached pretty well, at least in terms of my own personal beliefs, to a lot of what she was talking about, which is that a lot of America is center-right. And what does that mean? And I, I, I have to say that, that what I have witness in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party is that too often the polarized ends decide the agenda, or at least if they don't decide the agenda, and I know that the, the work of the RNC is to sort of help define the agenda, but that the polarized ends too often make that the conversation that we are too often happening. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with national media. It has to do with the way that that uh, the flaws and and, and uh, social media and the way that social media works using advanced artificial intelligence and, um, you know, kind of convincing people that everybody in their news feed agrees with them, which is not all, really isn't the case, but it gives them a false sense of security about that. But I, I, I sort of covet the days, Henry, where we can get back to having conversations that are about solving problems and not about political polarization. Why don't we do this? We're coming to the end of this segment. We'll finish the last segment talking about some of what you're learning about what I just talked about. And my sense is, and I want to know your perspective on it, do you find that a lot of people sort of agree with me that, that they're conservative, but they wish that the conversation would quit being so darn polarizing? Let's let's. How do we get back in the middle somewhere? And I don't necessarily mean in the middle ideologically, in the middle politically, so we can solve problems. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Henry Barber. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
have my friend Henry Barber, who was the former executive director of the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal for Governor Barber, somebody I worked very closely with in the uh, wake of Katrina. And he is a partner in Capital Resources there, super, super involved in political stuff and have been for many, many years. He actually uh, sits on the RNC and uh, is in a really good position, at least on the national scale. He's not as involved in Mississippi politics like he used to be, but I'm sure he could comment about that as well. But uh, when we went to break, I was just talking about sort of how a lot of America is somewhere center-right. I mean, not everybody's like off on these edges, and the polarized edges tend to determine the debate too often. What's your thought about that? Well, my thought is, is that there's a real hunger, I think, in this country for people who care about solutions. Uh, What's the impact that we can have on the American family, on businesses, on innovation and encouraging education and, you know, things that matter to people. Yodden country, Um, you know, we see what's going on in Ukraine and, um, you know, can't this, can't we come together? I mean, my goodness, look what what these people are able to do. And, uh, and all we can do is argue over, um, you know, a handful of issues. And, um, but unfortunately, um, there are sort of radical forces in both parties. I think, you know, the Republicans saw, you know, this bull over on January 6th. And Democrats have, you know, uh, they just they've got they've got their own issues, and I, and I think it's hurting them politically this year. Uh, but with that said, we need to elect good people. Um, we need good people to run for office, and uh, to and that's tough, Ricky. Yeah, um, to get that to happen. But um, I, I agree with Marie. Um, you know, there is there is real hunger out there and people are not satisfied. I mean, look, uh, Biden has only got about uh, 36% job approval and Biden ran as a guy who was going to be kind of in the middle, but he hadn't governed that way. And, and, and on top of that, they bet he, you know, he's a, and so often they just come across as incompetent, you know, what, you know, it's just terrible. Uh, what happened in Afghanistan and, um, you know, we just we don't look like the strong America that I think that we truly are. Um, and we need to get back to that. So do you think, OK, and, and clearly, I mean, I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican and you're if you're watching the situation on the national level with any honesty, it's hard to see an outcome that is different from there being sort of a, a big time, you know, Republican wave. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, um, I, I don't think there's uh, much question that Republicans should win the House. Um, and so Nancy Pelosi will no longer be speaker, thank goodness. Um, Republicans have a tremendous opportunity in the Senate. The map makes it a little bit harder for us. There are 35 seats up in the Senate. 21 of those are held by Republicans. And and you got states like Pennsylvania, um, where Pat Toomey uh, retired, and that's a that's a tougher state for us to win. And then the pickup states where we're supposed to win, Georgia, I mean, where I think Herschel Walker is probably going to be our nominee. I mean, we could have Senator Herschel Walker, um, which is something uh, interesting. 
uh, but also exciting if you if you get to know Herschel. Uh, we, you know, we should win in Arizona, but Mark Kelly is an attractive Democrat candidate, and you know, uh, Governor Ducey decided not to run, and it's just it's tough. Um, we should the, the the historically the House the the party that's not in control of the White House. Um, typically does well this this time, um, and the and Biden is just deeply unpopular. Inflation, uh, you know, so many issues that he's not handling. So Republicans have a real opportunity, um, but you know what I'm preaching is is let's focus on issues and let's focus on bringing people together. If we can focus on those two things, I think we can win elections and also get we can govern and get things done. You know, I, clearly inflation always. The, you know how how what what you know what how policy is affecting me at home is a big issue for people. That is that is without a doubt a big one. And I think that the gas situation, the the whole discussion around energy policy, the average American is getting more of an education around that than they typically would get. They understand it more than they would have understood it before. They're beginning to understand that it's a world market, and you know how does that how do the dynamics of that work? And then the way that we're Russia, Russia, and Ukraine sort of plays into that. People are, are you know, again, the average person is getting a deeper education about this than they than they did before. And the other thing is just Ukraine in general. The way this country is being. It's like this Katrina that happens to them every single day, and it doesn't go away. And they and we can relate to them. We we you know, they you know, they they speak our yeah. language, and they want. I mean, you know what I mean, dude? It's there's a lot of issues, man. <laughs> it's a big well, time I, issue. I hope that will we'll come from Ukraine. Hopefully, we're going to um, stop the Russians and get them back and 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 hold the line on freedom. But I hope too that we'll be inspired by what they're doing. I certainly am. We will be inspired and. And America, one day, I hope, will get back in the hands of leaders who can communicate difficult issues and work to solve problems. I know that's what the RNC is focused on. But anyway, Henry, it's been great to visit with you, my friend. I look forward to doing this again. Thank you, brother. It's been a, it's been a, de- a real pleasure with Henry Barber. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.